freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We've got to stop us. They're going to kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You call down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio! We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hand of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, good morning. Um, Welcome to Free Association. My name is Dennis. I'm here for the next 60 minutes, maybe 57 minutes thereabouts. And uh, I'm taking it fairly, fairly easy to from now until Christmas, I'm having a bit of a rest. So um, I have got some things to talk about. I've got a 30-minute video to play uh, on the on some philosophical interpretations and some um, esoteric interpretations of Star Wars that I, I thought was quite interesting. Uh, but it's quite light. It's not it's not a heavy-duty interpretation. It's 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 light enough that you don't need to pay too much attention to it if you don't want to but uh it's worth worth listening to and worth thinking about but not going to disturb your view of the world 
too much, I wouldn't have thought. Um, yeah, what do I want to talk about? Well, I'm, I wanted to start with um, a thing called a stand in the park, which I've been going to for about a month now, maybe a little over a month. I've been to three meetings out of maybe five weeks or thereabouts. So not too bad. I'm, I'm doing quite well for me. It's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in my local park, which is called Leesers Park, which is right by Newcastle-upon-Tyne, um, St. James's Park Stadium, which is the, the Newcastle United football ground, the soccer ground, right in the centre of town. And uh, in that park, there's a, there's a lake and a little cafe and a picnic area. And further up, there's uh, there's a lot more space, wooded area, an old what looks like an old um, cafe that's a bit derelict. But uh, the cafe that we meet by is is by the lake. And I wasn't expecting very much, to be honest with you. When I went when I first went up, the first week I went up there, I thought I'll give it a try. I'd, I'd had a conversation with somebody online. Uh, I was living in um, Billericay, which is Essex, in in south the south of England, and he told me that there was a, a stand in the park meeting near where he lives, and there was about a hundred people going to it. So I thought I'll give it a try. Because if it's if it's big if it's big in Essex, it might be it might be known about enough and big enough to be to be something local happening. So I thought I'll give it a try. Um, Went up there. It was it was all right. There was about thirty people showed up over a couple of hours. Uh, I was there for about an hour and twenty minutes, and over that time there was about thirty people. Let's say, which is quite good for a Sunday morning. Ten o'clock on a Sunday morning is quite difficult to get out of bed when it's starting to get cold and wet. So there there are reasons not to be there which is the warmth of my uh, living room. But I've been up there three times now, and it's it's the same people every week, more or less, with one or two new new faces even there. It's quite a good place for networking because the people who show up at a stand in the park are activists. They're actively looking for places to to set up alternatives to the mainstream. So... Uh, this week they they were planning. I didn't go, but they were planning a carol service on Monday, just gone um, outside of Durham Cathedral because there was a vaccinated only carol service happening in the cathedral. So the unvaccinated people were planning to sing carols um, outside the cathedral and have their own carol service. So it's that type of thing. It's just uh, a matter of setting up. Another another event to make the point that people are being excluded. That's really all it is. Um, so it's the, and there's local little local events with people carrying placards and standing by the road and uh, reminding people that it's not really a good idea to implement vaccine passports and that they need to question the the narrative and all of that sort of thing. So. It's an interesting place. I recommend if you haven't already 
found your local group, have a look at your local group, make a connection with them, and at least when it gets a bit warmer in the spring, then there'll be somewhere to, to spend time on a Sunday. So I've started actively thinking about where I want to do my socialising because it looks like uh, the, the bars and cafes are going to get a bit restricted at some point next year, I would imagine. So I'm now I'm anticipating a little bit. Stan in the Park's one of the places where I'll, I'll do my socialising, but I need to find two or three others uh, just to be just to be on the safe side. I call it the Rebel Alliance, and it's a, it's kind of a, a collection of people who just uh, have objections to things that are going on in the mainstream. There's no real organization, there's no, there's no organizer as such. It's just something that happens fairly organically. Or as I say, I, I call it the Rebel Alliance. And, uh, the, the piece of video that I've got lined up is, is about Star Wars because I was thinking about how to link the two things together and that's pretty much the way to do it. So this is Jay Dyer and it's a piece from um, Hollywood Decoded. Let me just set this up, share my screen. Here we go. So this is... This is Hollywood Decoded, talking about the, the first George Lucas Star Wars trilogy. Is there a deeper, hidden, more esoteric meaning to the Hollywood films that we all love to watch? I'm Jay Dyer. And I'm Jay Widener, and this is Hollywood Decoded. chose the Star Wars trilogy because obviously it's one of the most important trilogies and film series of all time. Star Wars, I think, you can't even put into words how influential this series has been. Uh, in many ways, different than Star Trek, but similar, but more of a space opera. So I think it appeals for its basic archetypal principles. It's, it's perennial. Uh, it's the battle of good and evil. But it also, just like other stories that we've talked about, like The Lord of the Rings, it deals with prophetic elements, things that could warn us about the future and tyrannical governments, but it also provides a positive spiritual message overall. Yeah, if you have to remember the context of when this movie came out, uh, we had just come out of the Vietnam War, and I think that this was a very appealing idea. Lucas was also involved in Apocalypse Now, which was also a very similar plot, mm -hmm. and I think that Lucas is trying to tell us, show us, that no matter how powerful you are, you can still be defeated by the lowest uh, of civilizations, right. similar to Lord of the Rings. Right, what Tolkien was telling mm -hmm. us, yeah. What's interesting about this film also is the relationship, or, of all the films, is the relationship that they have to the works of Joseph Campbell. Absolutely. And his hero's journey right. work. Lucas was incredibly influenced by Joseph Campbell, even inviting him to Skywalker Ranch, where they shot a series of interviews with Bill Moyer mm -hmm. uh, right before Joseph Campbell died. That's how much Lucas liked Joseph Campbell and his whole evocation of the hero and what the hero has to go through. Mm -hmm. Do you, when you look at something like Star Wars, recognize some of the themes of the hero throughout mythology? Well, I think that George uh, Lucas was using standard mythological figures. The old man as the advisor, 
well, specifically, what he made me think of is the uh, Japanese sword master. And, and in Campbell's work, he shows that the hero is usually, uh, doesn't have parents. There's these certain kinds of archetypes that, the, yes. that Luke has that the hero has to have in order for him to have a successful hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And Luke is definitely the hero, but the movie and the series is not about Luke. Mm -hmm. As you pointed out to me in previous talks before we did this, this series, the first series, the first three of the trilogy, right. are about Darth Vader. They are, and that's one of the reasons it's a positive message is because it's a story of redemption that's very unexpected. The character Darth Vader, although is completely wicked, completely ominous throughout the series, it's in a weird twist of providence, the only way that the Empire could be taken down is through the character of Darth Vader. And so that's what we're going to see when we get to Return of the Jedi. But to begin with, in Star Wars, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the Joseph Campbell aspect because Joseph Campbell is really just a restatement of Carl Jung on many levels. And so what we're going to see here is a lot of the archetypes from Jung that we've seen in so many other films. And this is, again, very popular in Hollywood, very popular in literature. So it's not a big surprise. But there's also going to be a technological warning from this series, and there's also going to be stories, uh, statements about politics and social order, uh, as well as esoteric hermetic concepts. Uh, I think that we're going to have warnings about uh, transhumanism. Uh, the Death Star is obviously, I think, an, an analogy for the military-industrial complex, uh, for the machine of war that we, we've heard mentioned in other shows. Uh, and so I think that, it, it, again, it functions on so many levels, but because it's such a basic space opera, that's the why, why it has such a wide appeal. And it's, and it's a great message. It's, it's one of the best, I think, one of the best films ever made. Yeah, and I like the whole idea of the way that Lucas brought in, you know, the spiritual concepts of the Force, mm -hmm. and that there's this ether around us uh, in, hermetic, uh, in hermeticism. They believe that the element that is surrounding us is not just empty space, right. an ether, and that you can manipulate that ether. We do yes. manipulate that ether with language, for instance, using words. Uh, we're pushing the ether around uh, the, the space between us. And Lucas is showing that with your mind, mm -hmm. a well-disciplined mind, uh, you can achieve amazing things in the physical world. And this is essentially a spiritual idea, and it comes from the East, and Lucas must have been studying not just Joseph Campbell, but it looks like Zen Buddhism right. and Taoist practices Absolutely. and taking those and incorporating them in. Now, if Campbell was the one that said, hey, you know, George, go do this, then, you know, kudos to him because it was a brilliant idea to bring in these Eastern things. Yeah, just like in The Lord of the Rings, we're going to have on the one level a kind of political warning, and this is going to be based on the transition of the old Roman Republic out of a Republican form of government into an imperial form of government, right, which we all know about crossing the Rubicon. That's where that phrase comes, where they move out of the old Republic into the new order, which is a tyrannical empire. Uh, and for our day, the reason that that is relevant is that Lucas himself has said in interviews back when the prequels came out, even though we're not talking about the prequels, no. he did admit that it did deal with 9-11 in the post-9-11 world. So it's, it's very much a warning. I think the old films are a warning, too, and it's this machine of war, it's this transhumanist tech domination, this control grid that he's warning us about. So let's look at the first clip, which is going to show that, that this station is now the ultimate power in the universe. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture. 
no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebel's hidden fortress. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's interesting that m most of the, the guys in the room there, the boardroom of the Empire, uh, on the Death Star, except for that guy, they, they speak, Brit they have a British accent, yes. right? So I think there's a nod to the British Empire, uh, the collapse of the British imperial system as well going on here. But what's interesting is this is around the time that Emmanuel Velikovsky was putting out a lot of works that were theorizing what he called catastrophism, yeah. that the reason that we look out and we see all of this barrenness on the other planets and moons, that there might have actually been some kind of giant catastrophe or battle, perhaps, of some kind. Very interesting thesis, and I think maybe that might have been in the background of the idea of a giant weapon that can destroy whole planets. Well, it's very interesting because it seems rather dubious that Lucas could have known about the exploding planet theory because it really didn't come into fruition until a year before Star Wars came out. The first movie came out in 1977, and 1976 is when Tom Van Flanderen wrote his book about the exploding planet, mm -hmm. theorizing that the asteroid belt was the remnants of a planet that existed between Mars and Jupiter, and that somehow it exploded. Now, what's interesting is if you go look at pictures of Mars or the moon, it could be argued that a lot of the things that you look, see, especially on the moon, are some kind of remnants from a war that happened a long time ago, streaks and weird craters and all sorts of things that Richard Hoagland talks about in his work. And he was friends with Tom Van Flanderen. And I think that Van Flanderen near the end was also beginning to believe that possibly this exploding planet was caused by people and not by a natural event. And to have Lucas do show us this uh, in 1977 is amazing. What What's amazing funny, one thing that's funny about this scene is that Darth Vader himself is kind of the embodiment of a warning of transhumanism, and even he recognizes that this technological power is not the ultimate force in the, in the universe. I mean, he's a bad guy, and he, even, he still recognizes that there's a metaphysical transcendent power that's above this, the force that we talked about. Uh, and so I, I think that there's so much that we don't know that you're absolutely right to bring in these these topics of the possibility of paleophysics. Dr. Joseph P. Farrell has an yeah. excellent uh, series of books on that topic. Joseph Farrell, actually in the Giza Death Star series, mm -hmm. he postulates that they used the pyramid to create a vibrational mm -hmm. force that actually blew the planet apart. Mm -hmm. And he's an Oxford-educated guy, so I, you, know, you have to take what he says seriously. Another thing about this clip that we just saw that I think is interesting is the guy is mocking Darth Vader's religion of the Force. Mm -hmm. Uh, saying it didn't help us, what good is it? And Darth responds by choking the guy with his magical powers. And if you think about it, Darth Vader is always choking people throughout the entire series, sometimes mm -hmm. with his hand, sometimes with the Force. But he, what he's doing is he's ch chopping off your, your ability to speak. Um, and we all know that magic is associated with spell, and spell is associated with words. Mm -hmm. And what he's doing is he's making sure that all vocalizations stop 
and only his reality is the one that's let in. And this is using the force uh, to stop any opponent from speaking. Right, right. Uh, One of the things that stands out here is that we all have fears, hopes, desires, so forth, dreams that manifest in a kind of inner world of symbolism. This is what Carl Jung really plumbed the depths of, is the inner world of the psyche. And the reason that Lucas looked to Campbell was because Campbell knew about all these archetypes, and he, and, and he wanted to put those powerful archetypes into his space opera. So what's great about this next scene is that we have this battle. As you mentioned, Luke doesn't have an identity. He's, he's lacking his father. He doesn't know who his father is. He's an orphan. This is the Achilles heel of many of the heroes. So what Luke's going to have to do is face up to not just the fear of not knowing who his father is, but what if my father is not a good guy? What if he's a, what, how do I know that I'm not going to turn out like my father? So this is his greatest fear, and he doesn't, he's not mature enough yet to realize that it's not a physical confrontation. It's a spiritual, psychological battle. Yoda prepares him for this psyop test, which that's what it is. Yeah. And so he's, he's like the hero mythology. He's going to have to do his catabasis, his descent into the underworld to face his primal subconscious fears. Am I my dad? Is my dad evil? Am I going to turn out like him? And that's what we're going to see in this great scene. This is from The Empire Strikes Back, and I think it's actually kind of the crux scene of the entire trilogy. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah. So what we have here is, as we said, every hero has to descend to the underworld and basically either face death or some manifestation of his greatest fear. And in Luke's case, it's, as we said, am I my father? Am I going to be my father? And it's almost like he has this intuition. He doesn't know yet, but he has this intuition. Darth Vader is my daddy, (laughs) right? So (laughs) Darth Vader's a baby daddy right now. Who's your daddy? Uh, But that's the great challenge, the temptation that Luke's going to be tempted with the dark side. And Yoda even says that place, that cave, is strong with the dark side of the force. So it's almost like the dark side is kind of tempting, manipulating, leading Luke down this path. That's why we see that Edenic imagery of the serpent there, the temptation of the serpent in Genesis, right? Uh, And and Luke actually fails this test. And this this is why I think a lot of people... A lot of critics believe that Empire Strikes Back is the best of this trilogy. It's precisely because Luke is not a perfect hero. He, he has the Achilles heel. He fails this test. Yoda later says, remember your failure at the cave. If you try to go fix things the quick way, that's going to the easy path. That's going to lead you down the left-hand path of the dark side, which is in Hermeticism, right? The left-handed path, that's the dark side. That was the part where he finds out who he really is. And I think in the end, we have to say that Lucas is really trying to present not just good and evil and the battle thereof, but uh, uh, kind of the battle of archetypes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Luke, is, uh, Luke is not the hero of this movie, right. essentially. It's Darth Vader yeah. who's the hero. He's the one that finally kills the emperor and saves the day. And the movie is this delicious kind of manipulation of Darth Vader towards this final end. Mm -hmm. And when he does realize that transhumanism and his own transhumanism is not the way to go, and he destroys the Death Star. 
What's interesting also about Lucas is his use of words. Uh, for instance, um, Luke Skywalker is a play on George Lucas. George is a Greek word that means earthwalker. And Lucas is, of course, Luke. So Earthwalker Lucas is actually Luke Skywalker. Hmm. And Darth Vader, if you say it phonetically, Darth Vader, mm -hmm. it sounds a lot like Dark Father. So he's kind of signaling to you from the start right. that there's something going on here. And, of course, Han Solo is interesting because he's the independent guy. And he's the Solo. Right. Right. And, and, and all through this, Yoda is, of course, the tenth letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Yod. So yep. Lucas is very, very much aware of these kind of metaphysical concepts, and he's packing them in to the film. Yeah, I, I do want to talk more about the hermeticism and the Kabbalistic element in, in Star Wars, but I want to show this clip first because it illustrates that. So let's look at Always With You, What Cannot Be Done. No. We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, what cannot be done. Do you nothing that I say? Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. Is this when he successfully pulls he, it out? Yeah, well, he gets it a, 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 halfway, you know, up, halfway up, and then it kind of drops back in, and then Yoda does it, right, and shows him that, right. look, it's all in your mind. Right. Um, but I want to talk about the Kabbalistic element here, because Yod, this, this is fascinating. I think this is a coded reference to Kabbalism. Yeah. In, it represents, in a way, both the name of God and Israel in the biblical Kabbalistic text. So, like, in Genesis 1, you have ten commands that are given at the beginning God says, let there be, let there be, right? Uh, and then later on you have, in a literary reading of the Bible, a kind of recapitulation of a new creation at Mount Sinai, where Israel's gathered together and there's a giving of the law, ten commands, right? Yod is the tenth letter uh, of the Hebrew alphabet. And so if you look at gematria, which is the idea of assigning numerical values to the letters, mm -hmm. you get a one and a zero. And in that way, I think we're looking at the one, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph, right? right. Then, and and if, you, if you think about 10, this is intimately connected to creation, Absolutely. and then later to God's people, Israel, right? Yeah. So Yoda, in many ways, I think, encapsulates and represents the good side, the good people, God's people, and so forth. They're always presented that way in the trilogy. And I, I really think that Lucas is directly drawing on Kabbalistic imagery, uh, and that's why the rebellion is successful, because they're actually standing up for what's true, for these metaphysical transcendent principles. And Yoda makes that, that fascinating statement at one point to Luke. He says, Luke says, is the dark side stronger? Because we know that Luke's going to be tempted. It's, he's turning it over in his head. Maybe I'm on the wrong side here. And Yoda says, no, it's just quicker, faster, maybe more sexy, right? But, but it doesn't achieve what it seeks to, to, to achieve. It, it's it's self-destructive, ultimately. So I think that's one of the most powerful messages of this film. And Darth Vader is the exemplar of that. Darth Vader is self-destructive. He chose the dark side of the path uh, of the Force. But in the end, as we see, in a twist of fate, he's the only one that could have saved the rebellion and destroyed the Emperor. Nobody else was strong enough to destroy the Emperor. Um, and this, is, uh, this Kabbalah thing is also exemplified in the end of uh, both uh, episode uh, four, mm -hmm. The New Hope, 
and Return of the Jedi, when they're destroying the Death Star, they have to find this certain path that gets mm -hmm. them to do it. And it's like going up the central channel of the Kabbalah. Uh, and they have to have, and the only way you can get to enlightenment is to go up that central path. The dark side is going up around all the Sephira mm -hmm. in the Tree of Life. Aleister Crowley, of course, mm -hmm. had the Serpent's Path, which was this kind of varied way to get to the top. And the enlightened uh, Jewish rabbis would tell you, no, 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 you know, go straight up the path. And we can see that even in the movie 2001, it, it has the Kabbalah embedded in mm -hmm. it. And the Kabbalah is embedded in the Star Wars trilogy right. over and over. But the victory that Luke has when he finally blows up the Death Star is him traveling up the central channel till he gets the Keter and then he's successful. Hmm. So that is his moment of enlightenment. Interesting. Yeah. It's also, I think, emblematic in the symbol of the empire. The empire symbol is a hexagonal cube kind of turned on its, on its point. Uh, and that, of course, as we all know, is Saturn, right? The empire represents that control, that dominance, that sacrificial aspect. The, the empire has no problem sacrificing a whole planet, has no problem use, utilizing terror. At one point, the stormtroopers actually stage a false flag and try to blame it on the sand people. And, yeah. and Obi-Wan explains that to Luke. He says, we were meant to think this was done by stormtroopers, right? <laughs> uh, or by, by the Jawas, right? This was actually the stormtroopers that did it, right? right. So uh, again, another Kabbalistic image there. Yes, they're using all the things that you mentioned, but they're also using magic. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very important to understand. And the magic is uh, represented by the, the logo of the empire, this hex. Mm -hmm. And what you do with... Uh, you throw a hex on someone, and that would be using the force in a negative way. And what a hex is, is it's, it, it's a, like a box, yeah, binds a you, cube right. that binds you, whoever you're hexing. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's associated with Saturn, because Saturn, it, it, they believed in the ancient days, was the furthermost out planet, mm -hmm. which encapsulated right. our solar system in a, in a cube kind of configuration, the cube right. of space, they called it. Right. And Lucas is definitely drawing a parallel between the hexing and the magic, right. the a bad use of magic. Father Dark time, Kronos, death, Death Star, right? I mean, he's always, he's got the Sith, the sickle, right? Uh, and so that's, that's the very emblem of the empire is Saturn. It is Saturnian. And strangely enough, the Death Star has a very close resemblance to the moon of Saturn Iapetus, mm -hmm. including the little hole in the side and everything. But, but there are these relationships between Saturn and Star Wars that are very interesting. Okay, in this next clip, we see that Luke is slowly becoming a machine, too. Yes, right. And he's becoming like his father, Darth Vader. He's going to be turning slowly into a machine unless he stops himself. Right. And so he gets his hand cut off by Darth Vader, and now he's getting a mechanical hand and becoming slowly a machine. So this is interesting because we saw in the cave when he was tempted and when he failed, it was because he wasn't prepared to face up to the fact that Darth Vader might be his father. I might turn into Darth Vader. The, the guy who's more machine than man is said about him. We have this warning of, of technological dominance, transhumanism. Is this a bad path to go down? What happens when we become more machine than man is that we lose our free will. We lose freedom. And that's what the empire is all about, tech dominance and no freedom, right? They don't right. want freedom for the various races and planets. And so I think we should also consider the, the symbolic aspects of the hand. So for example, Manly P. Hall in his Secret Teaching of All Ages has a whole section 
dedicated just to the symbolism of the hand, and he talks about how it, it itself is the five appendages of, of humanity. We think about the, you know, the famous Leonardo da Vinci image of, of the, you know, the, the Vitruvian man. And so it's, it's emblematic of, of human nature itself. And so for Luke to lose his hand and to have it replaced with something mechanical is itself, I think, a warning of transhumanism. Yeah, and people don't realize that, you know, uh, um, we have a, a ten-base counting system, mm -hmm. and uh, which is also a five-base counting system. Five is, of course, the number of life, like the Vitruvian Man right. by Da Vinci. But also, if you do the square root of five, you get the Phi ratio series. So right. uh, this all is about life and. Five and ten are all numbers that equate with life, and I think it, that Yoda being Yod, the mm -hmm. tenth digit in the uh, right. Hebrew alphabet, is proof of this. And the replacement of it with with synthetics. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So in this next clip, what's interesting that we're going to see is that we can't underestimate the dark side. This is something that Yoda keeps warning Luke about. He says, "Don't underestimate it. It's more clever than you think. It, it, it may not be as powerful as the good side, but it's still very clever." And the emperor divulges that this was all a plot. He led the rebels you know, to where they are on Endor to be destroyed ultimately. Right. So Luke is put in this position where it appears there's absolutely no hope. And the only thing he can fall back on is the possibility, the slight chance that there's still humanity. There's still free will left in his father. That's his one last hope. And Luke's even willing to sacrifice his life for that. Yeah. You want don't you? The hate is swelling in you now. Take your Jedi weapon. Use it. I am unarmed. Strike me down with it. Give in to your anger. With each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant. Is unavoidable. It is your destiny. You, like your father, are now mine. So the, the Emperor is a master of psyops. Right? And he knows Luke's psychology, he knows human psychology. He's put him in this position by his design, by his clever trickery, to where he feels that there's no hope. He's, hoping, he's, he's banking on Luke despairing. You're going to be your father. That's the temptation the dark, dark side has been sending the whole time. Uh, and what's so amazing is that Luke is the only reason. I, I guess you could argue that it's both Luke and Vader who save you know, the rebellion ultimately. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's only the power of Vader that could destroy the Emperor. And that would have only happened had Luke been willing to sacrifice his life. That's the final trigger That's that right. brings the love back within Darth Vader. That's right. That's a very interesting scene. They use his love to, uh, as a redemptive tool, yes. causing Darth to finally do the act that causes the Empire to fall apart. Right. Very interesting way to end the series, actually. So let's look at this next clip, which is itself what we're talking Vader's redemption, yeah. basically, the destruction of the Empire.
it's a simple message, but it's a powerful message because it's perennial. It's the fact that sacrifice, love, is ultimately what can overcome any darkness. Yeah, that's exactly the, the message of the, of the entire trilogy. Uh, and it's a very good message. And I think that uh, everybody, I guess one of the reasons why this uh, series is so popular, really. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what we have is a platonic Gnostic conception here. Because when any of the Jedi die or pass on, they leave their temporal physical body. Right. They sort of vaporize, right? And, and you think they might be dead, but no, they actually appear as these blue translucent spirits, right? So the, the film is presenting an afterlife, mm -hmm. and it presents actually the redemption of Darth Vader. And, and I've argued for a long time that the whole trilogy really is about the redemption of Darth Vader. It's that even if we're mired in wickedness, we're mired in evil, it's not too late. There's still good within us. There's still humanity within us. We can still reconnect with that transcendent source and power that created us. Yeah, and I like the idea that when when Obi-Wan dies, he becomes a helper right. in the afterlife, right. which is a very Gnostic idea that the spirit can go on and help people that have been left behind. My takeaway from this is not just that it's a popular space opera and it's fun to watch, and I grew up with this, but that it actually speaks to perennial problems of mankind, to universal philosophical questions, to good and evil. Uh, and it does it in a way that, on the one hand, is appealing to children, but it's also very sophisticated. It's very, it's very adult in many ways. Uh, and no matter how evil, no matter how wicked we are, what the series tells us is that evil domination, dominating other people by your willpower, that's actually a ruse. It's a trick. It's, 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 it's encapsulating what Yoda tells Luke, that it's, it's a quicker, faster way, perhaps, to a limited span of power but ultimately, it doesn't gain you anything, and it ends in your self-destruction. And what makes people go on in the afterlife, live on into eternity, the good guys, is love. Yeah, it's a deep mythological opus disguised as a science fiction space mm -hmm. opera for kids. Right. And that's why adults liked it, because they could see and feel that there was something deeper going on in this so-called children's mm -hmm. show that was happening. And I think that's why it is so successful, because of that deeper meaning that it has. Join us again next time on Hollywood Decoded. I'm Jay Dyer. And I'm Jay Widener, and thanks for watching. All right, so there you have it. it was, uh, I thought I found out yet. I found out this morning, or last night, possibly this morning, I think. I actually watched it. And uh, there's some good material in there that's. Obviously, Star Wars is from 1977, so there was a lot of the 70s in there. There was a lot of the Vietnam War. There was a lot of kind of, uh, well, emp empire and emperors, and uh, probably there was probably a bit of Watergate in there somewhere as well, I would imagine. George Lucas would have absorbed all of, all of the American uh, political situation and geopolitical situation and uh, and it'll, it'll have got into that subconsciously if not consciously and I think a lot of it was conscious Lucas is a clever man he's a very clever man he knows how to use archetypes he knows how to tap into the human subconscious this human uh, the structure of the human subconscious which is effectively what, what archetypes are 
uh, and there are positive and negative archetypes in in Jungian psychology. So the fact that it's a it's the interplay of good and evil. It's the interplay of of dark and light, but the requirement for the redemption is that the is that the the villain has the villain redeems himself. The villain redeems the the movie in effect. So without without the villain, and the villains get all the best lines in Hollywood. <laughs> they they explain what's happening very clearly with the villains in Hollywood. So if you want to know what's going on in any if if we assume that there's predictive programming in there, which I'm not 100% certain of, and if if we assume that there's some kind of revelation of the method going on, which again I'm not certain of, it could just be that the the scriptwriters like to put good stuff in. They like they like a good dramatic scene, which means that the villain gets all the best lines. And uh, yeah, if you want to know what's going on, watch watch Hollywood vi- villains. Listen to what they say, and they'll explain it to you. But uh, it is it is really the it's the allegory in Star Wars is is the same as the battle between the sun and the moon. Ultimately, it's the battle between light and darkness. All of these things. All metaphors. You don't have to buy into any of them. This is why I'm I'm cautious about buying into meta, metaphors about biological warfare and uh, psychological warfare. Yeah, there's something going on. Yes, it's a, it's a potentially dangerous situation. You need to have your wits about you. That doesn't make it a war. It makes it a hostile situation. But that. Hostile, not all hostile situations are wars. It could just be a naturally occurring development of human consciousness. It could be an emergent property of the system that we live in. There's all sorts of other things that could be going on that mean the situation we're in isn't a conscious war. So I'm cautious about buying into all of that. And... I do use I use the language sometimes. I fall into the language, but I don't always. But I usually pull myself out of it. Um, it's good as it's good language to use to rally the troops. If you want to move people in a particular direction, that using that language is very effective because it 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 conveys the urgency of the situation, and and people respond to urgency and to scarcity. Um, I know this from from our time in telesales. If you put a time limit on something, you make it urgent, and you you limit the availability. So if you limit the availability of freedom, it makes freedom more urgent. It makes it a, a more top of mind thing. It's a thing that people start to think about because it's because there's a limitation on it. So that's why my emphasis is on freedom at the moment is because. It feels like it feels like my freedom's being limited. I perceive a limitation. There isn't there isn't actually a limitation, but the perception of the limitation creates a sense of urgency. That's what I think is probably happening. Um, so, in effect, we're being sold freedom by having our freedom restricted. So the 
the freedom sells itself when there's a perception of the restriction, when there's a perception of the limitation. And the limitation, it's all about Saturn. He's writing, he's writing saying there are a lot of the empire material. Anything that's a limitation on freedom is about Saturn. And uh, a lot of my life has about, been about limitations and about overcoming restrictions and about thinking about restrictions in a different way. But it's because of the limitations that I've discovered who I am a lot more than I would otherwise. If I just bought into the system and gone along with it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have discovered very much about who I am. I wouldn't have, I won't wouldn't know who I am, whereas I'm I'm very consciously aware of who I am and what what my preferences are and what my personal choices are likely to be in any particular situation, which means that if I can predict my own behaviour, it means that I can select environments that are likely to produce that behaviour and reinforce it by consciously choosing the environment that I want to be in. It's an interesting idea. Um, and the, inter the interaction between individuals and the environment is, is a, something I want to explore. There's another piece of Jay Dyer that I want to play at some point about the prisoner, about Patrick McGowan and the prisoner, but it's it's a 20-minute piece and we've only got 15 minutes left, so I'm going to talk about something else now, I think. Oh, I'll talk about the, uh, the radio station. So I set up a radio station about three years ago. Didn't know what I was doing, really, but... Uh, I like to experiment with things. So at radioprojects.co.uk, uh, you can find the radio station that I set up. The content on there, I borrowed a lot of content from YouTube and uh, set up some playlists. I set up some kind of themes to it. So there's a there's a Hindu theme. Uh, there's a there's a CIA theme going on with it. There's, there's a, a few other different, oh, there's a healing theme as well, a psychology theme. But it, it runs 24 hours a day, it runs automatically. I'm going to change some of the content over Christmas, so talking of urgency and scarcity, you've got about a month to get stuck into it before it starts to change again. So um, if you're interested in uh, some good content that I've selected personally, then radioprojects.co.uk will will get you there. Uh, there's a there's a podcast as well now, which you can find on Spotify. And if you look up Free Association Radio Show Podcast and Roundtable, you'll be able to find that. Most of my most of my listeners are on Spotify for that particular version of what I do. 50, 50 odd percent of my listeners are on Spotify. So I keep a close eye on the stats and I'm, I'm adapting the content. I'm adapting the content on the, on particularly on the podcast uh, and on the radio shows, depending on, on the responses I get. So it's playing to the audience a little bit, but it's, it has to reflect who I am as well. 
it's a combination of the two. This is why I'm interested in the, the relationship between the individual and the environment. Because it's the interplay that makes things interesting. It's, re it's the relationship between the two. It's the, um, the ratio between the two that makes the complete picture. So there's that. Um, the other things I'm doing are, are going to be for next year. I'm setting up another group in Newcastle, uh, which will be initially monthly, and then it'll develop into a, week, a weekly group probably at some point. But I'm starting monthly because it's just it's easier to test the water and I like to test things. I like to make sure that things are going to work before I start to to roll them out. So that's kind of me. Let's have a look at the chat room and say hello. So on the visitor list today, we have, let's have a look. We have Vapor Dog. We have Zog. We have Matrix Warrior Host, which is Jay Parker. He comes up in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, normally a pretty good show. Uh, we've got Tubby in the chat room. We've got RR Toronto, Azra. Uh, we've got Kuron, Boy Solomon, Hyperloose, uh, Zip Ditty One, Lady Horse, Tootsie, Oi McVeigh, uh, WSOD, uh, we've got Mer Bailey as well in the chat room. So Revolution Radio's listener supported. Uh, the chat room's part of part of the deal, really. If you go to revolution.radio or freedomslips.com, you'll see uh, a way to sign up for the chat room. And on the top of the navigation bar, you'll see a donations tab. Where you can you can set up a monthly donation or make a one-off donation, and there's also a a merchandise store as well. You can buy mugs and sweatshirts and all sorts of things there. So they all they all help to keep the servers running, keep things moving, and uh, we're all volunteers, so we don't get anything. But uh, the station need needs as much support as it can get, really. So you can you can support by being part of the conversation in the chat room. You can support with with dollars. Uh, you can support by buying merchandise. But it all it all helps. It all helps. All right. So let's let's find something for the next five minutes or so, just to wrap us up. I'm wondering if if that prisoner material is worth starting this week. I don't know whether there's any episodes on BitChute of the Prisoner. There might well be. But I'm going to have a look. There's movies on BitChute these days. If any, if anybody hasn't actually had a look in the entertainment section, let's do that. I tell you what, that'll, that'll take care of five minutes. Let's have a look at the entertainment section on BitChute. And I'll tell you what's just been uploaded. I'll also talk a little bit about what I'm going to watch. I've got uh, a couple of moves. I downloaded Aliens, which is the second Alien movie. So I've got that to watch at some point this evening. Um, so in the entertainment category, uh, we've got some X-Men cartoons. 
know, we've got some episodes of a TV show called Starman from the 80s. We've got a, a show called UFO, which I used to watch when I was about five years old, which is a British science fiction show from 1970. It's quite nicely done. It's set in 1980. Uh, was made by uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, who put together uh, Captain Scarlet and um, Thunderbirds. And um, what else did they do? Stingray as well. Stingray was a good show. They're all good shows, in fact. All of those, all of those Jerry Anderson puppet shows. Initially, they were. UFOs are live action science fiction, but most of his others are, are puppet shows, they're marionette shows. Uh, UFO only lasted one season, but I used to have, uh, have a UFO interceptor toy when I was about five years old that fired, fired a missile. So I'm a fan, just on that basis alone, I'm a fan. And they're all wearing jumpsuits. It's all very 1970s. It's women with purple hair wearing jumpsuits, so it's it's quite it's quite an interesting show, though all in all. Uh, it developed into Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, which is also a pretty good science fiction show. I had a I had a good relationship with Jerry Anderson's shows when I was a kid, so I like all of them. So that's on BitChute. It's probably worth spending some time with. Got Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, we've got some episodes of The Untouchables, some old black and white episodes from the first season. Uh, some horror movies, Final Destination is on there. Uh, Superman, the uh, Christopher Reeve 1978 version of Superman is on there. What else? Some uh, Stargate Atlantis, some Andromeda, some Farscape. Something called Doctor Brain, which I've never heard of, is also on there. So if we go back a little bit further, this has all just been uploaded in the last twenty-four hours. So there's a lot of material gets uploaded, and Excalibur, which is an old John Borman um, King Arthur movie, very nice, kind of sword and sorcery, quite brutal. Uh, but but a good movie that was uploaded one day and one hour ago. Uh, some old Phil Silver's on here as well. Some old Spider-Man cartoons. So lots of stuff to keep us going. I've got enough to keep myself going for over Christmas on on BitChute. Uh, so we got the Vikings. An old uh, Kirk Douglas movie, Tony Curtis is in there as well, from 1958. So there's plenty, there's a lot of material there. Uh, so that's pretty much everything that I've got to do for the day. I'll be back on Tuesday with a round table on Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. US time. And I'll be back at 4 o'clock my time, 11 o'clock Eastern on Saturday next week. Um, I'm going to keep doing shows over Christmas, but they'll be loose. There won't be uh, there won't be all that much planning in in them, and it won't be heavy topics. I'm just going to do kind of loose entertainment type stuff. 
Uh, well, thanks for listening. Much appreciated. Thanks for your support. And I'll see you next week. Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Be evasive. But that doesn't mean that they're telling the truth as opposed to fiction. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came and unto the daughters of men, indicating that there were giants before the Nephilim. And sons of God, plural. They weren't talking about Jesus coming down. No, no, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm Steve Crawford, host of Factor Theory Live. Join me every Sunday night from 10 p.m. till midnight Eastern Standard Time on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Check it out. What the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passersby often ask me, just what is this truth jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio. Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio.